This is Sex, Love, and Death, conversations about the light and dark we all share. In this episode, we talk to Bridget Maley. Bridget Maley is my friend from college. We met studying abroad in Tanzania, and she's went on to become a world traveler. And now she is a uh, she works at an organization called CARE, and they're an international nonprofit that does work around the globe, around global poverty and humanitarian aid. And their focus is on women and girls. And in this episode, she very, very boldly and courageously shared with us her very unique experience around sex. Enjoy. I hope it's okay to say this, but you were actually part of the inspiration for why we started a podcast. I wasn't, like, gossiping about you by any means, but we were just having conversations, and we started talking about sex and stuff, and I was thinking about you and, you know, um, and what's been happening with you, and that was definitely part of the conversation that 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 inspired us. So, oh, it's cool. super exciting that you're actually here to talk to us <laughs> about what's been going on with you um, as part of the podcast. So, we're going to talk about sex. <laughs> Uh, and actually, you're the first person that came on and was just like, I want to come talk to you about sex. So even more exciting. Um, yeah, so talk to us about it. <laughs> right. How do you want to Start begin? talking about sex. Yes, start how talking do you want to begin this? And oh. I don't remember, by the way, because this conversation that we had That was so like a year ago. ago now. Was it only, it feels like forever ago. Anyway, so mm-hmm. like, tell me anything you want to tell me. <laughs> Absolutely. And a lot's happened since then. But that was just mm-hmm. kind of the beginning of it. Um. Yeah, so this... Ah, uh, sex. Um, <laughs> the thing that many people have. Not me. <laughs> so, I guess... And, and Liz has been kind of kept abreast of the situation as I've... Like, as things have changed and as I've gone through some different stuff. Um, but basically... The whole crux of the situation is that sex hurts. Um, and so, and it's actually interesting to, to listen to some of the earlier podcasts that you guys did talking about like what sex actually is. Um, Cause that's definitely been a part of this process for me as well as going through kind of discovery that includes like, you know, sex isn't just a penis and a vagina. And like that's a really, can be a really detrimental view of what sexual intercourse is because it is very limiting and when that particular type of sex is very painful everything else just is like blown out of the water um so for me this started fuck, probably like two and a half years ago at this point um it's been growing and changing for quite a while and it started kind of just with like um like having like a loss of desire like I'd be with my partner and then all of a sudden I'd be like this is a I don't feel like doing this at all which is really confusing and really frustrating and there was a lot of crying um and that kind of went on and off for several months and then I ended up getting um one of the copper IUDs and that was a terrible experience and everything hurt and I was really uncomfortable all the time um and then from there it slowly turned into sex was painful and so it wasn't before. When it was really, it was really confusing and it was really frustrating. Because um, right around the same time that sex started becoming painful, it also the idea of sex became really disgusting to me. 
like the idea of having sex with anybody, with my partner, just the idea of sex in general became really repulsive. And that's never happened before. Um, and so that was also really strange um, because through this whole thing, more or less, my, and I've been with the same partner the whole time and his sex drive hasn't changed. And so it's also been really confusing and frustrating for him to be like, well, is it me? Like, are you disgusted by me? And for me to be like, I'm pretty sure that's not the case. <laughs> like, I'm just really disgusted by the idea of sex. Like, I still like you. I still love you. I'm still attracted to you as much as I'm attracted to anything right now. But sex just is really disgusting. Um, and that's also right around the same time that it started becoming physically painful. Um, Do you know which came first? Like, do you have any... Did they kind of unfold simultaneously, like... Or do you remember if there was a time when it was maybe one more so than the other? Um, I think the, like, being repulsed by sex kind of started coming first. Um, and I think that especially accompanied a lot of the different, like, physical reactions to having an IUD. Because with the IUD, it was really bloated. I was really uncomfortable. I was, like, constantly bleeding and spotting and just, like, was always miserable. Um, and I think that's kind of where, like, my disgust with sex started and then from there would notice like it kind of it gets stopped being fun and just started being uncomfortable and then from being uncomfortable it went to being painful and did you feel a disgust towards sex specifically or do you feel disgust also towards like vaginas or like your own body like was there any of that associated mm. as well or was it mostly just like the act of sex um, it was largely the act of sex, but I also, and so part of where all this started as well is I was diagnosed with HPV. Um, so shortly after my partner and I got together, we did the, we're in a monogamous relationship, let's go get tested for STIs, um, whole song and dance. <laughs> and that's where I found out that I had HPV, which nobody really tells you, but like 80% of humans yeah. end up with HPV. I remember when you were first diagnosed, yeah, yeah. Like, I remember when you were first diagnosed and I was just like, oh my god, and like, it was a really scary situation, and not mm -hmm. to downplay, because for, for some people it does yeah. end poorly, like, it does, you know, take a negative turn, but, like, it turns out most women have it and yeah. just never know it. Yeah. It's crazy. And it's something that, like, men are, men tend to be the carriers for, or, like, basically... They don't symptoms show symptoms. Or, yeah, most of them don't even know that they have it. And they can't be tested for it. They can't? Mm -mm. So the way that they find out is they, if someone that they slept with or multiple people they slept with show up with HPV. But for most people, HPV is fairly innocent. Yeah. So most women just right. have it, and it's just like this thing yeah. that like eventually just clears up or whatever it does. It goes about its life, and it basically just passes on. Yeah. But for some people, it can become and cancerous. Because even the strains that could turn into cancer or warts or whatever tend to resolve on their own right and so like there's no treatment for it and i was young enough at the time that i was able to take the the vaccine against it um and i do think that that helped resolve the hpv because it never turned anything it went away in the course of like six months to a year or whatever and but yeah, nobody tells you that like... I heard this from a comedian. <laughs> Everyone has HPV. <laughs> Everyone. I heard, like, shortly after it was, you were going through all that, I heard yeah. a comedian talking about it. Or no, I slept with a guy who was like, by the way, I might have this thing. And I was just like, fuck, what? Yeah. And I was like, oh, it's no big deal. Yeah. No, it's <laughs> and then I heard from a comedian. 
and yeah. then like I looked. Uh, I was like, what's her name? She has a um, she has a a thing on Netflix, a special on Netflix called Baby Cobra. Ali Wong. Ali oh my Wong. god. Yeah, mm. and she talks about she, she talks crazy. about uh, HPV and how all women have it. How like these fucking dudes like they pass out, but they don't even. It just like pops up in women's surprise. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyways, it's not like I just took her word for it. It's just like oh, everyone has it, no big deal. But like I just started yeah. actually looking into it, and it turns out it's really not that big. Like, it's not a big deal until it is a big deal, but for most people, it's just simply. Not. But it also it's like, like takes, takes a really a long time to become a big deal, right. and like, like if you're getting regular checkups and they catch it. There's a very low chance that it's actually going to turn into cancer unless you're just like, fuck this, I'm never going to go to the gynecologist again. Because, like, there's a... Are you on some sort of medication or something? So there's a, there's a vaccine, and it probably came out when I was, like, in my late teens, early 20s, and just never... Like, it's new. I'm not an early adopter. I was just like, I don't need that, whatever. Um, I remember when that came out. Yeah. And you can get it until you're 26. They haven't done any trials on anybody over 26, so I don't think it's detrimental. They just don't have any information, so we don't prescribe it for anyone if you're past the age of 26. But men and women can both get it. And they're, I've actually heard a lot of advertisements. Mm-hmm. Okay, they make it seem, they totally make it seem like it's for like teenage girls. There's actually been, I've, um, I think it's been coming out either on my Spotify or Pandora, because I have free ones, so I get all the ads. Um, but there's been several ads that I've heard in the last couple months and it's for the vaccine and it's both like teenage boys and teenage girls. And the, the ad itself is a little doomsday. It's like their adult self being like, maybe my parents just didn't know that I was going to get penis cancer. And you're like, Oh my God, what? <laughs> Jesus. Oh my God. That's a really good guys to do oh, something. Yeah. No penis is going to have Your cancer. Exactly. To- <laughs> Unless you get this vaccine. Right. Um, but yeah, and it's just like, it's three installations of the vaccine and I was, I would have been, I guess, 25 when I was diagnosed and so I could still get it. So I had all the vaccines and, um, but other than that, no, there's, there's no treatment. It's just like, we'll wait and see if it goes away. And if it turns into something dangerous, then we'll carve it off of your cervix and carry about our lives. And that's it. So, but it's really, yeah, it's not something that they, I don't know, maybe they've updated sex ed since... I was a kid, but nobody ever says 80% of humans get HPV. You're probably going to be one of them. You may no. or may not know it. That's crazy. Yeah. Okay, so where were we in the story? So about the time that you were starting to feel uncomfortable with sex, that was about the same time that you were diagnosed with HPV. Oh, no, the HPV was way beforehand. So that oh, okay. was that was actually really early in... My relationship. Oh, that's right. Okay, so how long have you been with? Almost three years. Okay. So, and there was a very small window of time at the beginning of our relationship where we had good sex, and then I've we've basically just been trucking along trying to figure this shit out since then. <laughs> so, yeah. So you guys got together, mm-hmm. and then you were diagnosed with HPV, mm-hmm. and then there was still a window of good sex where those things coexisted. Kind of, but it was a it was a s- smaller window, right? And so yeah, and so I think, and there was also I think a lot of it's also been stress related, a combination of like a couple of crappy jobs, um, and then going into grad school, and so there's been a lot of different stress going on, and apparently stress affects your sex drive quite a lot. Everything. 
and everything. So, so yeah, it's been, I, I think it was probably about a year and a half ago, maybe a little bit more than, that I finally started like seeking out a counselor to start talking about it. Um, Cause I had tried to talk to my old gynecologist. Um, finally, I got the IUD out. I, um, and then probably a couple months after that, I actually like decided to talk to the gynecologist when it came up to, um, to like an annual exam or something. Um, and basically his solution was to give me a prescription for lidocaine and tell me to put some lidocaine on my vagina and just like carry on. That's like a... It's a numbing agent. Oh my God. Which that incidentally... Really crazy. Can, like it can be a legitimate like therapy combined with some other activities, but like he, his, the summary of his response was we don't really know what's happening. No one really knows why women have painful sex, which is entirely false. There are many specialties that deal with this, which I found out. <laughs> but his solution was, I don't know, put some lidocaine on it and see what happens. But here's the part of that that pisses me off. If there were a man coming and be like, my penis isn't working, they'd be like, oh my God, let's do all of the things to make sure that you can have good sex. And one of the women is like, eh, just numb it and deal with it. Yeah, because that's why I want to have sex. <laughs> So that I can, so so that that I can, can feel have anything. Fun and feel, like, feel all the good things. And I just get to be numb. Exactly. Awesome. Um, <laughs> so I have yet to go back to him. And that's been like, oh, a long time. Fuck that guy. Um, no offense. Whoever. <laughs> I'm sure you're a lovely person. But, I'm but sure. also fuck you. <laughs> it is your job to deal with vaginas. Maybe you should know, like, what happens with painful sex. Like This is like a whole other tangent, but I've never had a male gynecologist and I just have no interest in having a male gynecologist. It was yeah, a really good experience to start with. Like, and why did you become a gynecologist? <laughs> <laughs> like, right? <laughs> what? <laughs> like, so good I can kind of understand. It's like, oh, maybe they had an experience and they were like, I really want to be a part of like educating women about their hmm. vaginas or, you know, like, Sex, education, health, all that kind of stuff. But with a man, it's like, and there are so many male gynecologists. Yeah, I don't get it. Yeah, it's weird. And what do you know about female gynecologists now, or is it still a male? Um, no, I've only seen one since then, and she was more of like a specialist. So that was just recently, and I may or may not go back to her because she's really expensive and doesn't take insurance. (laughs) So that remains to be seen. Let's talk after. I have like an awesome lady, and it's very affordable. Excellent. Oh, we will. So, so yeah. And I, I started seeing a counselor shortly after that. That was actually through Georgia State because I was a master's student and could do like X number of free counseling sessions. And she was wonderful, and I adored her. But sex was not her specialty, and so it was really good to talk about some, you know, other stuff and talk through just things in general with a counselor. But we were never able to like really address sex itself. Um, but through counseling with her, she actually pointed me in the direction of physical therapists that deal specifically with the pelvis. Um, so they do anything from incontinence to like constipation issues to painful sex, um, for both men and women. 
And because I mean, you guys are yoga people, so there's a lot of stuff going on in the pelvis. And a lot of physical therapists don't deal with that. They really? deal with like the rest of the body, and then the pelvis is just kind of a mystery. I was actually just That's talking so with um, with Jane Fox about this. Like, a lot of physical therapists are not allowed to because mm. there are certain like restrictions on like dealing with orifices, right? Mm-hmm. So like you have to specialize in the pelvis. Yeah, I kind of understand that, but at the same time, like you can just look at a body and see that there's a lot happening in the pelvis. It's like it what, mm. it's what connects. Yeah, you know, your upper lower body is very so much And I'm sure that they can do, and they can do some stuff. And and part of this is my mom's a physical therapist assistant, and so, and there is like they can deal with hips and butts and legs and whatever. But in terms of like the inner workings of the pelvis, is a very specific specialty. Um, and so there is so much going on in like just in that area. Yeah. So much stuff is coming together. Where nerves and muscles and everything interact and, you know, I'm sitting horribly right now and that affects, like, how your butt tightens and when your butt clenches, it affects your your leg muscles and your groin muscles and all of the nerves that, like, come into where the vagina is and so, like, the nerves aren't getting the appropriate oxygenation because your butt muscles are tensed and you sit stupid all the time and so, like, that helps aggravate the area and make everything more painful and mm-hmm. everything from just like I stand with my butt clenched and I sit stupid some of the things can we make that the quote that we put on social media <laughs> I sit with my butt clenched or stand with my butt clenched and I sit stupid <laughs> absolutely <laughs> absolutely <laughs> And so, and so, like, I've been working with her for almost a year now, and, um, and I think part of that was, like, a part of the reason why I think it's taken so long is because I just wasn't focusing on it for the good, like, first eight months that I was seeing her, because I was still in grad school, and so, and then I started working full-time, and so doing work full-time and grad school full-time, and then, like, it was, it was really good that I had it because then I felt like I was working on like my issues with not being able to have sex. But at the same time, like I didn't do any of my homework for it. I didn't do any exercises for it. I didn't really pay any, like give it any time except for the time that I was in, yeah. like in her office. And so nothing progressed, nothing changed. Um, and it's been since, so I graduated in May and it's been since then that I've started like throwing more time and money at it and I'm actually seeing like a, a sex therapist who deals with both individuals and couples and sex issues and things like that um, that I saw the, the gynecologist who specializes more with painful sex and um, as a, along with just like general gynecology um, and have been seeing the physical therapist more and so since I graduated I've actually started seeing like changes and like progress instead of just stagnant horrible painful sex how many hours a week are you dedicating to your sex life right now like a lot. <laughs> well it depends on the week so it's been a little bit trickier recently because i've been like traveling and stuff and oh, yeah, was it was delightful <laughs> and i like took my little like set of tools with me Oh my goodness. So, <laughs> so there's different 
I have something called a Therawand, and it is a like clear plastic wand looking thing. It's some it looks somewhere between like like a dildo like a dildo and a I don't know. It's just but it's like clear plastic and it's kind of in like the shape of an elongated S. So it's not straight. So when you, because what that one's basically for is kind of like massaging some of the deeper muscles on the inside that are kind of like off to the side of the vagina. And so it's to basically massage some of the inner muscles, um, which a physical therapist can do, but it's hard to do on your own at home at weird angles. <laughs> and so like, this is to help that. Um, the other set of tools are called dilators, and so it's a graduated set, and those do just look like straight vibrators or dildos or whatever. Um, oh my god, I just remembered. There was an episode of True Life. Mm -hmm. Do y'all remember this on MTV? Remember that show, True Life? Mm -mm. Okay, there was a <laughs> bringing up all sorts of MTV shows today, but there's like this show called True Life, and it would be like, True life, I have OCD. Or oh, I true life, I'm a doc, or whatever the things are. And one of them was like painful sex. I remember this mm. this woman. I mean, this is so long ago that I saw this, but I remember that like mm. had her little toolkit, and every day I had to like make more space. Yep. So you're basically stretching your vagina. Some of it, and so part of it, like they do start fairly small, and they go up to I don't know, like a inch and a half diameter or whatever. Um, and part of it is to to be able to like create space. Part of it is to be able to relax. Um, for me, it's also been a lot of like mental because having like having the actual experience of putting something in my vagina that doesn't hurt is also a bit of a revelation at this point. Um, and to be able, and also to have that, like, the actual, like, tactile physical experience of putting, like, using larger and larger dilators without, like, the bigger sizes hurting. Um, or having a better understanding of, like, when things hurt and when they stop hurting. And, um, and this is something that, like, because I've talked to, the, like, my physical therapist about as well, because for a while she was concerned that it might be a nerve issue, um, which is, you know, not her specialty necessarily as a physical therapist, which is how I ended up going to see the gynecologist that's a specialist. Um, because it w if it was a nerve issue, then it needs to be addressed differently. It can be addressed through physical therapy some, but not entirely. Um, and I was telling her kind of like, you know, in one sitting, as I keep using the dilator, it hurts less. And she's like, well, that's really good news because that means that it's not nerves. Yeah. Because if it was nerves, it would just keep hurting worse the more that you use the dilators. Yeah. Um, and so, like, it also helps, like, me and the team of professionals I'm working with have a better understanding of, like, what is actually happening. Um, is it ever stimulating, or is it just, like, yeah. it just doesn't hurt? Um, some of it is it just doesn't hurt. Um, but it's also because at different points throughout physical therapy, my homework has literally been, you should masturbate more. <laughs> and, and I don't think she said it that indelicately, <laughs> but it was basically like increased blood flow is good yeah. for the whole genital area. Yeah, like that's so, so yeah. And that's also part of it where 
My boyfriend's going to hear this and be like, see, we need to have more sex. <laughs> <laughs> Only have sex if you want to. <laughs> so, it's comfortable. You can tell me if this is getting too personal and too mm. uncomfortable. When you masturbate, mm. like, can you masturbate to orgasm? Mm. Do orgasms feel good or like, is it mm. painful? Okay. So that's, and that's actually probably been one of the okay things about like my experience with this is that I still can have an orgasm and so like and if I get real sciencey and anatomy on you guys so there's different like there's a lot of different <laughs> terms so there's um so the vagina is just the opening the area around it is um like this the flesh immediately around the opening of the vagina is called the vestibule and so that's kind of the flesh that connects like the vagina and the urethra. It's between the vagina and the, la and the labia minora. And that's, um, it's a different type of tissue than the labia. So like the labia can feel okay and the vestibule can hurt, which means like the opening to the vagina hurts. Um, and so it's, I think it's either called vestibulitis or vestibulodynia. I think they've changed names within the last five to 10 years or something. Um, just for funsies. And <laughs> But there's also, um, and so of the vestibulitis, it can either be aggravated vestibulitis, or I forget the other one. But basically aggravated means it only hurts if you touch it. The other kind is basically like, it's constant pain. Like women who have that, like they can't wear underwear, they can't wear pants, they can't sit down because their cooch hurts all the time. Um, and so a lot of that, like you end up having to like do like hormones and medication and different stuff like that. Cause that does tend to be more like a nerve issue. Um, so the provoked is again, it's just when you touch it. Do they know what causes it? I think there's like, so there's, it can be a wide variety of causes. Um, some of like painful sex can be aggravated by like an injury. So either assault or like if you're a gymnast and you fall and you hit your crotch on the beam. Um, oh, God. Yep. <laughs> um, or something similar. So like an injury can lead to it. Um, other kinds of like, and this I think was part of it for me, is like mental and emotional trauma. So receiving a really clumsy diagnosis of HPV um, combined with like a crummy IUD experience and just a whole bunch of stuff goes into feeding the stress around having sex and, you know, leads to like, you know, when I think about it, I clench. When I clench, things stop getting blood flow. When like, when the nerves don't get blood flow, they're, they, they don't feel good. And so they start to be more finicky and hurt. Um, I think some of it, some of it is like a hormonal imbalance. So there's certain types of like testosterone levels that have been linked to different kinds of vulvar pain. Um, I, at some point, I think somebody was telling me that like vitamin D insufficiencies have also been linked to vulvar pain. Um, so it can be a huge variety of things that lead to any kind of vulvar pain, whether it's with sex, not with sex, whatever. And so that's also part of why kind of like untangling why it hurts can be such a process because even just finding the right professionals is a process and a lot of times like they don't take insurance or like I mean 
and you can't really Google like boulevard pain specialist. Like that doesn't nothing comes up. You also have to know to ask for a boulevard pain specialist. Exactly. Um, And because, like, just Googling why sex hurts isn't actually terribly helpful. (laughs) Doesn't lead you to the most helpful places. Like, it leads you somewhere, but not to the most helpful places. And also, a lot of times, like, your regular basic gynecologist doesn't have the answers. case in point. I was like, we don't know. Well, that's false. There's actually a lot of people who do. Did you not even know? Like, that there's... Like, he didn't even think to point you to a specialist or anything? Um, I'm sure he would have if I would have pressed the issue. Yeah. But he was the first professional that I was talking to about it. And... I I don't know. I don't want to say that he didn't take me seriously, but I, I think there was an element of that in terms of not immediately pointing me in the direction of the right resources. I remember you had that experience too when you were struggling with the IUD um, and mm-hmm. just feeling like even doctors weren't taking your bad experience seriously. Yeah. Like, like that your pain was somehow not real. Or yeah. And because with the IUD, really the only place that I found anybody else who was having a similar experience was like on chat boards on the internet. and And it was women who were you know, were suddenly depressed after never having been depressed before, who were anxious, who had never been anxious before, who were losing their hair, who were, like, going through these, like, extremely traumatic experiences, and no, everyone was being like, well, it's got to be something else, it's not the IUD, and almost all of the stories, the thing they had in common was, this has never happened before until I got the IUD, like, I'm not a crazy person, but nowhere on the label, and there's no research done on it that says, like, these are the rest of the horrible side effects that come with putting this copper implement in your body. And and it doesn't happen for everyone, because everyone has a different reaction to it. That's the tricky thing about all birth control methods, is, like, everyone, and it's, all, like, on both extremes. Like, yeah. Some women will, like, lose a bunch of weight. Some women will gain a bunch of weight. Some women, their skin will clear up. And some women, their skin will break out for the first time ever. It's like, yep. there's no way to know at this point. Yeah. And I and I think I had that in about six months. And probably about month five, I finally called the gynecologist up. And I was like, I want this out. Like, I, I can't do this anymore. And the lady that I talked to... Because it it's a small office, so there was only one, like, medical assistant. She's like, give it another month, document it. Like, he's not going to want to take it out right now. And I just accepted that. And now that I think back on it, like, it infuriates me. It's not fucking up to you whether or not you take it out right now. I'm telling you to take it out. <laughs> like, this is not your choice. This is my choice. And And I waited another month, and I documented everything, and I went back and, like tried to document as much as I could from memory the like the whole six months um and then went back in and was like no really not changing my mind take it out and like even when I went in for the appointment they were very flippant about it and like he tried to be like this can't be that serious you just don't want it in there blah 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 and I was like this sucks and even if you also, don't want it in there. Also, you just don't want it in there. Exactly. That is your choice. It's, like, it's so ridiculous. I don't, like, I'm paying you for this service. 
this is nothing but an exchange of money for expertise. Do your fucking job yeah, and take it out. It's not about your personal opinion or yeah. thoughts around what I should and shouldn't do in a situation. Like, why put that? Why put yourself in that? <laughs> yeah, and so, and that was the that wasn't the same appointment because I got it out in like October, I think, and the appointment where and this is because this is the same gynecologist where he prescribed the lidocaine was in December. And I think I made some comment to like the medical aid as well to the effect of like not wanting to have sex, not being able to have sex, and like her suggestion was to get drunk. Oh my god, are you yeah. serious? Oh my god. <laughs> are you serious? Yes. Dude, oh my god. I'm so sorry, I've had all these terrible experiences. <laughs> wow. So it's been it's so it, stressful. It's been a series of like one cluster after another. Yeah. And, but it's also because nobody talks about this stuff. There's not like, I never felt comfortable basically being like, you guys are professionals. You should know what to say. You should know what not to say. You should know that just prescribing lidocaine without digging into this further is an unacceptable route. Like I'm going to need more from you do better because you're sitting across from a doctor who's supposed to have this experience and this knowledge and this expertise and I basically am just like scared and confused and frustrated and convinced that I'm broken because I can't perform this like basic function and you're telling me to to numb it that's not helpful that's so sad so so what's happening now in your relationship and your own journey with sex. Yeah, so now is actually, things are going really well. Um, I, like, I'm seeing a sex therapist, like, every other week, and I've been seeing the PT more frequently, and this coming week I start seeing her every week, um, just to try to, like, kind of speed things up a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, my, we actually had sex this last week. Which was, okay. like, for the first time since, like, October. Oh, my gosh. Which was delightful. And, and it didn't hurt? And it didn't hurt. Yay! Yeah. That's so That's great. It was. And it was, um, and I actually, kind of what I was talking about, like, the dilators earlier, like, having that actual experience of knowing the, the difference between discomfort and pain and also, like, how to make things less uncomfortable, um was super useful and like made everything a lot less frustrating and confusing and so yeah and I was I was actually um I had a session with my counselor this past week and one of the things that I was talking with her about because like one of my immediate reactions was to be like well I haven't done enough work like I don't I haven't and I was like no that's bullshit I've been doing this for like two and a half years. And you, and like, you have a whole team. I have a whole team of professionals. More than a lot of people would think to do. Yeah. And so like I have put in the work. Yeah, you absolutely have. And yeah, so that's where we are now. So you started to say before that after graduating, mm. it started to get better. And that was probably partly because you had more time to do mm. the things and like you had more energy to actually take the things more seriously. But how much do you think that just graduating was a part of that? Oh, I think it was huge. And I think 
because my my job right now isn't isn't very stressful. Um, I like my job. I like my team. I like my boss, and so I think that's a huge part of it. Where like there's been a significant drop off in how stressed I am, and I'm not like I don't have. 18 hour days where I work all day and then go to class for six hours and I don't (laughs) so it's like the the change in schedule I think has been huge just like being done with the degree and now all I do is like I work and I go home and at some point I'll pick up hobbies but (laughs) one thing at a time one thing at a time um so yeah I think I think the change in stress has been huge in addition to like having time to go to appointments and do my exercises and what's what's the best thing that you've learned with working with a sex therapist? Oh, one of the one of the things that we've discussed recently is so because painful like being a person who has painful sex is not just about like it physically being painful like it becomes this like huge mental block everything like sex becomes this like really anxiety inducing activity which kills your libido like nothing sounds fun because essentially even like going to make out with my partner would be like oh my god this is going to lead to sex and sex sucks i hate this and then everything stops um and so one of the things talking about with her was societally we have built sex up to be basically a staircase like we we do one thing to get to the next step we do that thing to get to the next step with the ultimate goal being like this fantastic orgasmic sex with your partner where everybody has an orgasm at the same time and there's fireworks and like it's just like this ridiculous situation which not to say that that can't happen or that that's not a worthy goal in some situations, but that that is what we expect all sexual activity to be kind of changes our relationship with every other sexual activity. So like kissing gets devalued, touching gets devalued, oral, manual, anything, like anything that is not straight penis and vagina sex ends up taking a back seat to well, like penis and vagina sex. Right. So it's like a means too. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Well, like you said too, if like you're treating it as if intercourse is the end, then that might deter you from engaging the other things. It's like, well, I don't really feel like having sex right now, so I'm not even going to hold your hand. Exactly. Like, it really, I mean, yeah, it can go to that extreme, I'm sure. Like maybe not even consciously, but like. Mm-hmm. Well, sure because, and then like. like And I mean, I absolutely noticed it because, you know, we would start kissing and that would be nice. And then we'd start making out a little bit heavier and be like, whoa, 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 like, I don't want this to end up in sex when there was no indication that it would have to or that it was going to. Right. But like that kind of like. That's stair-stepping thinking. Yeah. And then going back to what you're saying too, where it's like even just thinking about sex makes everything clench. So every time you even engage in any kind of potentially foreplay activity. Yeah. Just intensified everything just that much became, more. Like, really like yeah. Just uncomfortable and frustrating. And so the alternate kind of I guess way of thinking about sex that she had proposed was looking at it like a wheel instead of a staircase. So there's a wheel and there's spokes on the wheel and each spoke 
is of equal value. And so, you know, one spoke might be kissing, one spoke might be showering together, one spoke might actually be like intercourse, one spoke might be oral, whatever. And but they're all kind of treated equally. And what you end up valuing is the actual like the pleasure and the time you're spending together and not just like using everything as a goal to get to the next activity. And so you're making out because making out feels good and that's what you want to do at that time. And if you want to change it up and do something else, it's not that you can't, it's just that like all activities are treated more equally. Totally. So. And that takes a lot of pressure off of those individual activities and it puts a lot Absolutely. of enjoyment back into those activities. Absolutely. And, and that just gives you so many more options for celebrating your feelings for that person or enjoying and expressing your feelings for that person. Absolutely. <laughs> and it, I mean, I think it also makes a huge difference and being able to like have those conversations with my partner and have us both be putting more like time and energy into avoiding the staircase model and to paying attention to the wheel model. Yeah. does really make a cool. difference. Yeah. So that's a good segue into, will you talk a bit more about how this has affected, not just you personally, but like your relationship? Sure. Um, <laughs> kind of, <laughs> sorry, we're laughing because there's a dog butt in my face. Because <laughs> <laughs> he just wants to be included. He wants to come talk. The thunder stopped. He's not scared anymore. <laughs> He's excited now. I can come out to the world. <laughs> um... <laughs> I think at the very beginning it was it was very confusing and frustrating for both of us because I certainly didn't have the words to explain what was happening um, and so he was left to make assumptions and a lot of those assumptions ended up being this is because of me right. like well, especially you're, since it was fairly early in the relationship yeah. and, and I think that a lot of people's tendency is to take things personally absolutely yeah. and it was and, this, and a lot of this stuff ended up kind of landing after we had been apart for several months because he was doing an internship in LA for like three months or something and so there was a lot of like uncertainty and confusion when he came home and um and we have gotten better about being able to like talk about our frustrations and talk about like what's actually happening and um and a, I mean, in a lot of ways, like the rest of our relationship is very good and very healthy. And, you know, we live together and we enjoy spending time together. And we like the rest of our relationship is progressing quite nicely. And like we're in a really good place. And then when we talk about, you know, where we're going or what's coming up for us, this is one of the thing that, things that comes up that's kind of like, we still need to figure this out and because, you know, nobody wants to live in a sexless relationship for the rest of their lives. And that can also be, you know, really scary for the both of us to think that either one of us is holding the other person hostage to the threat of a sexless relationship. Um, and I mean, but I guess that said, like, I don't think I could have asked for a better partner to go through all of this with like he's been very understanding he's been you know for the most part really easy to communicate with about everything and so and that's probably why you've made it as far as you have oh absolutely like to not talk about this would just make it worse and 
And it has. And there's been, there's definitely been a lot of times where we have avoided talking about it and it usually like kind of all comes out at some point. And, um, you know, when we, when I started going to the therapist, we started going to like together, um, especially for the introductory sessions, like she saw us together and apart. Um, and to kind of just like get a lay of the land, figure out the situation, see what was, what had been happening. Um, and even since I've, you know, been talking to her more without him, as she has different suggestions about like conversations to have or whatever. And she's like, I know you can talk to him about this because like he's an, he's an emotionally mature and receptive individual. And like, you can absolutely talk about how you're feeling you know, just in the, like, the times that she's talked with him, she's like, I, I, I'm pretty confident that he'll be receptive to whatever you have to say, um, and so that's also, I think, made a huge difference, because I, I, I think if I had a, I had a partner that was not as understanding and not as receptive, this just would have been a disaster, and I, I don't think we'd be, get, be together anymore, yeah. so. And it probably just could have compounded everything and made it even more traumatizing. Oh, absolutely. Too. Um, and in a way, this might have even, I mean, not that anyone would want to go through this, but like in a way, it probably has helped because you have to communicate so effectively and often with this thing, it's probably mm-hmm. helped your relationship in certain ways too, or like made you stronger in those ways. Um, I think when we've, when we've actually had the conversations, it's definitely been, you know, things that we've, because it, I guess somewhat grown closer over because it is something that affects us both so deeply and is so vulnerable and personal and um, it is really difficult for both of us to have these conversations and there's, you know, because for him having to communicate to me about like his frustration with not having sex is also, you know, has been a really loaded conversation because, you know, to to have that is uncomfortable for everybody, but it's also not fair for him to not be able to talk about his frustrations. And right. so that's, there's been a lot of things that we've had to navigate in terms of making sure that everybody <laughs> feels heard and appreciated. And, and I think that's one thing that's been also helpful with the counselor is, and will continue to be helpful is to figuring out, is to figure out ways to make each other feel like valued and appreciated and loved without putting as much pressure on having sex. Um, I feel like just the fact that you're both still working at this means that you really, you both really want to be here in the relationship. So, I mean, that's really good. I mean, that's... I joke that he just wants to be with me for the sex. (laughs) (laughs) He says it's not true. (laughs) (laughs) So, now that you successfully had sex in the recent past, how do you think that'll affect you guys moving forward? You personally and you as a couple. Um, Does this feel like it puts pressure on? Does this feel hopeful? or? I think it feels hopeful. And I think it feels like a really well-earned success for the both of us. (laughs) Um, And I think it definitely tells me that I, I still have a long way to go. Um, and that like continuing to go to PT and to counseling is definitely necessary because while it didn't hurt, it wasn't like as easy as it has been before all this started. Um, there is still like a lot of 
thought and like tactical discussions that were happening like while we were having sex and like a lot of discussions about logistics and like checking in with the other person be like does that hurt no it's okay does that hurt no it's okay <laughs> does it hurt now nope we're still good <laughs> and so that kind of goes back to like you know not only do we view sex in that like staircase model but we also view sex as like it should be easy. Yeah. And, like, there's a lot of, like, you know, checking in and head bumping and, like, <laughs> like you're pushing my head against the wall or, like, some yeah. like, I think, you know, regardless of, like, going through something, like, what you're going through, it's, it's also, like, sex is, like, life. Yeah. You know, it's not supposed to be, like, so simple all the time. Which is definitely, that's actually something that came up in my last counseling session because it was, I guess a little bit, because it was like, it was, it felt good to be able to have all those tactical discussions while we were having sex without it actually feeling like we were losing momentum, which I think has happened a lot in the past because as soon as I feel like I have to communicate something that I do or don't like using, you know, using my words, then I'm just like, that's it, I'm done. Yeah. This is over. Everything's ruined. Yeah. I can't continue. <laughs> so, because I definitely, I know that I feel pressure, and not not for my partner or anything, but just to like everything to be easy and well, it suave feel, and sexy. Yeah, I was gonna say like it doesn't feel sexy to be like yeah to, yeah to have to verbalize it in that way. Yeah, know, to be very logistical about it and very <laughs> practical about it. Don't, don't put that there. Put it here. Yeah. <laughs> Not like dirty talk or whatever. Yeah. It's just like very instructional <laughs> type <laughs> manual, <laughs> manual reading while you're having sex. Exactly. Um, so yeah, I can see where that would be kind of like a little bit of a buzzkill and yeah. frustrating in its own way. Yeah. And so I definitely think it's going to be a, a learning curve to keep not letting it be a buzzkill. Mm-hmm. And because, yeah, the idea that like sex should be easy is also a bit of a, a lie. Yeah. Well, the other thing about the staircase model, the way that you were describing it too, mm. is that it also it also holds true this value that like every time has to be epic, you know, yeah. like every time has to be fireworks, and like no, it's not. And I think that most people know that it's not like that, but I feel like just kind of going back to the way that we mm. talk about sex versus the way mm. that we're actually having sex. Like I think to me that's been kind of like I notice that especially when I'm first dating someone, where it's like. Um, I was listening to a podcast about sex yesterday, actually, and they were mm. talking about how the idea of normal is kind of obscure and a little bit weird. Mm. Yeah. Like, when it comes to sex, it's like, what is normal? <laughs> Nothing. But, yeah, exactly. And, like, you might not actually be abnormal. It might be that you're just different than your partner, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but because we don't have very open conversations about sex like this, and we mm-hmm. don't have, even our doctors and, you know, even the professionals around this aren't communicating or, you know, aren't really clear on, like, what normalcy is and, you know, whether it's, whether it's, like, your anatomy or your sexual experience or whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, so I think that even though, like, I, ex- I experienced myself as, like, a fairly normally sexual person, and mm-hmm. yet I know there have been times in my life where I haven't considered myself sexual, and it's really only recently I'm realizing, oh, 
it's not that I'm not sexual. It's just that I have this perception in my brain that everyone else is really sexual. Yeah. I have this perception in my brain that like everyone else is having a more sex than I am, or like there's this expectation to have more sex than I'm having or want to have. Yeah. You know, when in reality it's like that's not really true, you know? Yeah. Um, but I've noticed that the most, like, when I first start dating someone and I feel like I have to have a lot of sex with that person, and it has to be good all of the time, you yeah. know? Or else, like, they're just going to leave me. Yep. <laughs> and I know in my rational brain that that's not true and that's not how it works, but, like, again, because this isn't something that I'm constantly talking to people about and, like, constantly checking in with people, whether it's someone I'm dating or just having these kind of conversations and, like, actually talking about, like, well, what is your experience of sex? Mm-hmm. Like, it can mm-hmm. be difficult to up- overcome some of those in my case, self-imposed stigmas, you know? Absolutely. There's actually, and part of this, probably a year or so ago, I stumbled onto a TED Talk by Emily Nagoski, who is a fucking genius. Um, she has a book. It's called Come As You Are, and it's about it's about female sex. And, and it is written for cis women, and she addresses that briefly in the opening. Um... And basically, she's like, but also I think this applies to most people. Um, and it goes through, it goes through like anatomy and stress and like how our brains work when it comes to sex and different like, you know, how much our own perception of our body impacts our desire to have sex. And basically, the whole summary of the book is you are normal no matter what. Like you are like you are normal mm-hmm. what you what you have what you do what you want it's all normal whether you want a lot of sex whether you want no sex whether you want you know sex once a month on a picnic blanket outside under the stars like you are normal and that like you know we have and the analogy that she, that follows throughout the whole books pretty much is that of a garden all of us you know our sexuality is a garden and in it you know we all have the same stuff there's soil there's plants there's flowers but it's all arranged differently and some of that stuff is going to be really healthy stuff that either somebody else planted for us because like we had good parents who were sex positive and put good stuff in our garden um or we had parents who were really sex negative and put a lot of toxic crap in our garden and told us that you know Things were wrong and bad and whatever. Um, there's a lot of junk in there that society has put in that's a lot of toxic garbage. And so, like, it's the activity of, like, tending to our gardens and figuring out what's in there and what we want in there and what we actually want to water and grow and the stuff that we really just want to, like, pick it out and throw it away and is, like, a, the whole process. But basically, like, everyone's garden is normal. And... Because that doesn't necessarily eradicate the fact that your preferences might be different than the person that you're sleeping with, and that adds its own level of complication. But at least it gives you the power to own what you want. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's why I think it's so important to talk with people about sex. Mm -hmm. Because, like, I remember at one point, like, you know, when my boyfriend and I first got together for the first, like, year, we were, like, bunny rabbits, like, Mm -hmm. doing it all the time. And then I just, like, didn't want it as much anymore. And mm-hmm. I remember, and, and he still wanted it as much and mm-hmm. more, probably. Mm-hmm. And I remember, like, at one point, I was like, you know, I think the amount of sex that we're having is normal. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like, thinking about some of my friends who are in relationships, I think that, like, it's pretty normal. 
And like, and like me saying that has stuck in his head. Mm. And um, like looking back on that, I think that it wasn't right for me to say that because like, first of all, I don't know what my friends' sex lives are really like. Like, I have few friends that like we really actually are like, how's your sex life? Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. And two, like, that's a comparison. Like it has mm-hmm. nothing to do with what I actually want. I could have just said, I am happy with the amount yeah. of sex that we're having. Because <laughs> it's also implying that yeah. he's abnormal in some way, and like that can yeah. cause insecurities of its own. You know. Yeah. But we're also at no point in our lives are we given. Like, the language to have those conversations with our friends, with our partners, like, everything that we're, like, because a lot of, especially in this country, a lot of the exposure that we have to sex is through the media. And even if you, you, even if you get into a show that happens to actually talk more about sex in something that seems to be a more positive way, then you're being fed... Like, there's no happy medium of the messages you're receiving. So you're either getting stuff on the lens of, like, sex is bad, don't have it, get married, and then apparently become extremely sexually active because going from zero to 100 is super easy. Um, Or it's something like Sex in the City, where it's just, like, you are, like, having all the sex all the time or something's wrong with you. Like, there's no happy medium where it's like, I do what I want. (laughs) And that's okay, and like I don't have to, you know. And and I feel like especially with conversations that we tend to have like socially or with friends or whatever, then it becomes this like conversation about like the victories, like the really good sex you're having. Like nobody tells the stories about like the really terrible sex they're having, unless it's also really funny and like you're playing it for a joke. But like, and I think it's also been one of the one of the harder things the last couple of years is like really had a lot of people to talk about it with and like there's been a couple of people but it also feels really kind of like a drag to bring it up all the time to be like how's your sex great mine's terrible because <laughs> it's because I feel like a lot of times like the pressure is and it not and it's not actually coming from the person we're talking to like it's coming from like a society that we've been brought up in like you talk about sex when you have good things to talk about you talk about sex when like you're with somebody for the first time and like you just slept with them or you just yeah. had the most amazing sex of your life or whatever. Like, you don't talk about just to share stories and to share experiences. And, like, it ends up being, like you said, like a comparison about, like, well, I think my friends are having this much sex, so we're okay. Instead of, like, right, this is what I want, and that's fine. <laughs> I was just thinking about this. And I might have even told this story on the podcast before. Okay. I can't remember. But... <laughs> Um, like, I grew up in a very, like, don't have sex till you're married mm. culture, and then, like, figured out mm. after that, mm. <laughs> and, uh, like, a lot of my friends also grew up in that, and I remember, um, like, I think my sophomore year of college, like, being at a bar with a bunch of my friends who, like, we all grew up in different places, but all, like, with the same ideology around sex, and, like, somehow we got to talking about masturbating. And all of us had never talked about masturbating with anyone before. Mm. And it was just like, I remember at some point someone was like, why don't we talk about this? Like, this is amazing, you know? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I remember being so liberating that one, like, when you grow up, like, in the church, a lot of times it's like, there's not even 
an acknowledgement that women masturbate. I didn't know that that was a thing until I, I, I don't remember exactly how old I was, but I remember being a little too old when I figured out, like, oh. <laughs> I think it probably was one of those things that, like, I did it out of curiosity as a kid, and then just, like, again, I, I also grew up in kind of that um, culture of shame around sex, and especially masturbation was, like, very, very taboo, and mm-hmm. especially women's sexuality was even more yeah, taboo. absolutely. So, like, the idea of a woman masturbating was just, like, <laughs> I remember the first time I was talking to like one of my cousins and it wasn't even the, it wasn't, that wasn't even the st- story that she was telling. She was telling a different story. But part of the context was she had been masturbating and we were teenagers and I was just horrified and <laughs> disgusted. And I, I, ba- and I basically like shamed her for her dirty choices and felt like an asshole since then because like once I figured it out I was like oh this is this is great <laughs> see what she was going on about <laughs> my bad <laughs> but like yeah it was I mean partly it was something that I didn't know girls could do and then when I found out that like my cousin was doing this thing I was like oh my god this is terrible what are you this is disgusting what how could you ever do this you've betrayed me because <laughs> it was about me <laughs> So yeah, it was just, that's really weird that, because we just, like, we know as a society, boys masturbate, and we have yeah. jokes about tissues and socks and <laughs> sticky towels and whatever. Where did sex shame come from? Because you didn't really grow up in a religious family. I don't know. I mean, not that religion is the only yeah. context of sex shame, but most people that I know that have some kind of cultural But I also do shame. know know a good amount of people that didn't grow up religious still the same thing like I mean you could probably speak to this but I think mm-hmm. a lot of people that I know who like had shame around sex growing up who weren't religious it was just like you didn't talk about sex yeah yeah so therefore you just intuited that it was like a dirty secret if no one's talking yeah. about it there must yeah. be something wrong with it I think that was probably a, a lot of it because we didn't have like we didn't have conversations about it it wasn't like, there was never a point where my parents sat me down and said, this is awful, don't ever do this. Right. But it was one of the things, like, we didn't really talk about. And then, um, and I remember, like, at some point, this would have been middle school, like, I think I was telling my mom about, like, how some boy was talking about masturbation at school, and, you know, I extrapolated from her reaction that masturbation was a bad thing. And, um, mm, yeah. And so it was just, and I think it was also like a, and I don't ever remember them being like, you can't have sex until you're married, but I'm sure it was like a, you know, you don't have sex until you're an adult and things like that. So I think it was more probably like filling in the gaps, reading between the lines. Yeah. And, and that, like, there would have been no other, there would have been nothing else to counterbalance those messages. Right. Like... There, that and wouldn't have come out in sex ed. That wouldn't have come out with like other adults. Right. So yeah, and that I think that's like the biggest hole in our culture around sex is that like there aren't conversations being had to fill in those gaps. Absolutely, it's just a bunch of a bunch of gray abyss that's just not being addressed at all. Yeah, and and I know for me, I went from like being a a prude and having like no sexual inclination at all to like in college really wanting to be more of like a sexual free spirit and which didn't really work out very well um, and not in that like 
I had bad experiences, but like, I didn't have a lot of sex, and it was all pretty bad. <laughs> and so, so yeah, there was like, but there was nothing. There was no messages. There was no conversations to basically be like, whatever you want is okay. Like, you don't have to be a virgin, and you don't have to be a whore. Like, those are not your only two options. So. And that's why I think it's so, I mean, I keep saying this, but that's yeah. why it's so important to talk about the stuff because, like, I like what you just said, like, you don't have to be a virgin, you don't have to be a whore, like, those are the two distinctions that a lot of people make, like, there's either just, you're either, like, pure and you keep to yourself by your sex life or your non-existent sex life, or you're, like, a slut, yeah. you're having all the sex and you have no boundaries, yeah. it's like, there is, like, so much in between and both of those are pitched as bad things like you're shamed if you're a virgin and you're shamed if you're a whore like you cannot win and in the middle you don't exist It's really, it's really a, a unfortunate and asinine dichotomy, and. So what do I do about it? Lobby for better sex ed. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good first step. And I think I don't know. I definitely am at least more interested with my own experiences and especially talking about like painful sex and you know the part of sex that doesn't come through even in like the surface level conversations and um I don't know and I and I I've actually been thinking about this a lot more recently that you know has a bunch of my like friends and people I know are like getting pregnant and having babies that one of the things that I would like to do as a parent is talk freely about sex and I'm fully aware that my kid is going to be the weirdo in class that is able to say the word vulva without being embarrassed but also like I think part of it is how we equip the you know our peers and the next generation to be able to talk about things without having to be squeamish without having to be embarrassed, without, you know, getting to, you know, 17 years old and then figuring out that masturbation is, like, a normal thing. And, or older. And, I don't know. But I think, I think a lot of it, especially appropriate here, is, is the conversations that we have with other people. And, you know. I think it's amazing that you're here talking to a microphone about it. Like, <laughs> like you said, you don't have that many conversations about it. And it's, it's incredible. And it's, I mean, I think that part of the reason why 
I'm able to come here and have this conversation is because of where I am. Like, this would not have happened six months ago um, or a year ago or whatever. And so I think a lot of it is just, like, how long I've been spending with this particular feature of my sex life and, you know, talking with a counselor, talking with my partner, talking with my PT, things like that. And, and I mean, I've told the story of, like, the story of, you know, how everything started with HPV and how it's grown to now to quite a few people at this point. And so it becomes easier to tell the story. Um, but also, you know, the more that I've read about it where it's like women have had this for seven years before they ever go see a doctor about it because they just think that it's their duty in life as a responsible wife to keep having uncomfortable sex. And it's like, girl, no. <laughs> Stop what you're doing right now. <laughs> I'm glad we talked about this too because I have a friend who, like, she waited until she was married and had sex and it was painful mm. and it, like, probably still is. Uh, mm. Like, I'm glad we had this conversation because, like, I don't think I've talked to any other people besides you no. and her about that. And like, and I don't know anything about that. Actually, su- apparently surprisingly common. And because I think it's like one in five women end up having issues with painful sex at some point in their life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's been other friends that I've talked to about it and, you know, talked to them for several months before, like, we'd be sitting alone. And they're like, actually, yeah, I've had this before too. Mm-hmm. And this is what I went through. And this is my experience. And they're like, oh my God. I'm not a total outlier. Like, this isn't just something that's happening to only me. Like, there are whole specialties around this. Like, there's a lot of people that this affects. There are different societies and groups that you can join that they've got chat boards of women who have painful sex and talk about it online. There are associations that you can join and get materials for you and for your partner on how to deal with painful sex. There are, I mean, there are books on there both just about like sexuality in general and about painful sex and the different ways that that manifests and sometimes it's there for a little while and it goes away um sometimes it's truly you're not using enough lube and you should be um and sometimes it's because your nerves and your muscles are all jacked up and you need a professional to help sort you out and you need to go talk to a counselor who will tell you that you're not a freak and that you're not crazy and that this isn't just happening in your head. Like, this is a real thing. It's a real problem. And there are ways to solve it. Like, And you deserve to have them solved. Absolutely. You deserve to enjoy sex just as much as any man does. Like, I, the very first PT appointment that I went to where she basically confirmed that there was, like, a, a physiological aspect to what I was feeling, that the pain was real, I was just so relieved it was unbelievable to have somebody be like you're not crazy like this is real and also this is absolutely fixable like there's nothing about this that means you will have painful sex forever so yeah man thanks so much for sharing all this absolutely and i feel like we've kind of talked already about like why it's important to talk about sex and how it makes you feel more connected to Mm. talk about sex and all that Um, because it sounds like having people to talk to first of all just like gain the confidence or this experience to talk about sex more and then having the opportunity to talk about it it seems like it's helped you absolutely so just to kind of wrap it up what what would you say to someone who might be going through what you're going through or just like having some kind Mm. of whether it's like some kind of sexual issue or some kind of 
problem talking about sex in any way? Like, what would you say to someone? What do you wish that people mm. knew about these kind of things? I think, and this kind of came out a little bit earlier, is that you are normal. And the other thing is that you are not broken. And that's something that I know that I still struggle with, is accepting that, like, there's nothing about me that's broken. This is not something that I'm, like, doing on purpose. It's not my fault. It's a thing that's happening. And so, and the other thing that I think that I would, like, share with others is, like, there are other people out there who are doing this as well. And there are solutions. And so, like, you don't have to have, you don't have to have bad sex and uncomfortable sex and be in pain, like, yeah. So talk about it, people. <laughs> talk about sex. <laughs> All right. Talk about sex, baby. <laughs> and anything else? That was great. This was Thank so, so good. Yay. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Thank you.